Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post. Come to you early uh, Tuesday morning, uh, West Coast and East Coast time um, from my apartment in San Francisco. Um, haven't been able to get to the podcast for a while, so wanted to get back into it. Um, Going to do a, a solo uh, mailbag pod. Ask, got some questions both on Twitter and from uh, Reddit's NBA page. So shout out to Reddit NBA for giving me some good questions. I appreciate it from you guys. Um, you know, that was nice of you. But um, uh, I'm going to start with kind of a, a somber topic. Um, not kind of a somber topic, a very somber topic. Uh, I spent most of the past 72 hours in Oakland, California, uh, briefly uh, twice at a pair of Warrior games, uh, Saturday night uh, when they played the Suns and one of the least memorable games, I think, that I've ever seen. Um, and uh, tonight, uh, Monday night, uh, where Klay Thompson had 60 points and the Warriors just completely obliterated the, the Pacers in a thoroughly dominant uh, performance. But the vast majority of the time I was in Oakland over the past three days was spent uh, in Fruitvale, which is a neighborhood actually, ironically, about five minutes away from Oracle Arena where the Warriors play and where uh, the mood was very different um, after there was a, uh, a tragic uh, tragic fire at a, at a warehouse. Uh, it's called the Ghost Ship um, out here in the Bay Area. I'm sure everybody who's listening to this has probably seen my tweets uh, and seen some of the stories I've posted from, from the site. Um, I've been out there reporting on the tragedy um, over the past couple days. Um, 36 people are now dead. There's at least several more that are likely to come out of the wreckage uh, inside of the warehouse over the next 24 hours, maybe next couple of days uh, by the time they're done finally um, cleaning everything out and, and fully fully excavating the site. But um, it's just a very, very sobering uh, few days for me. Um, you know, I, I, I anybody who knows me or is in this business uh, knows that I'm always quick to say that I feel very fortunate to have the job that I do and the life that I do. Um, I grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere, and the fact that I get paid to go watch NBA games for free um, and write about a sport that I love and for I what I think is the, the best newspaper in the world um, is an unbelievable honor and a privilege, and I am just thrilled that I get to wake up every day and do that. Um, but I also am the first to say that my job isn't all that important. Um, you know, basketball, for as much as we like to pretend uh, in our in our world, those basketball fans that, you know, the, the daily ins and outs of the league are paramount and are the thing that really matter. Um, the fact is, they just don't matter very much. You know, whether Draymond Green intentionally kicks somebody or whether, um, you know, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant can coexist or whether the Cavs are going to win another championship or where DeMarcus Cousins is going to get traded. I mean, all, all of this stuff in the grand scheme of things just doesn't matter very much. And the stuff that matters is when, you know, some you wake up one morning and you find out that somebody you care about passed away in a fire, um, that people were trapped in a building at, that burned to the ground and probably were trapped there knowing they were going to die in a building that was burned to the ground. Um, you know, it, it's... It doesn't take long to be reminded of that when you are at the scene of such a tragedy and you are talking to people who live there and who escaped and who lost everything they have and who are hoping to find a loved one or have them you know, show up somewhere when they have been missing for a day or two. Um, when you see firefighters walking out of a building um, that has been you know, 
just burnt to the ground and they're digging through it, you know, bucket full by bucket full of debris, hauling it out to try to find, you know, whoever is left in there and whatever's left in there and determine the cause of the, um, determine the cause of, of, of the fire itself and what happened. Um, you know, police officers who are trying to deal with the fact that the son of one of the Alameda County Sheriff's Department deputies uh, passed away in this fire. Um, you know, it's, you know, the fact that the, the, the there's a, you know, a, a really eclectic, interesting underground art and music scene in Oakland um, that has really been tragically devastated by this, this terrible incident um, that's had a lot of people it really cares about, you know, pass away um, and disappear from that scene forever. Um, and, you know, there's people who don't, you know, people who lived at that, in that space who woke up Saturday morning and wake up, probably wake up Tuesday morning and probably for a while with literally nothing except the clothes they have. Um, you know, it's a very, it's a difficult thing to, to have to process that and to, you know, go, go there and, and do your job and, and report what's happening and, you know, ask people who are in just a terrible grieving state to try to explain what that feels like. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's something real and it's, uh, it's, it's a hell of a lot more important than, you know, the, somebody's three point percentage or, you know, whether this guy or that is starting or if this guy or that should be traded or, um, you know, if this lineup is the right one or anything, um, you know, it's, it's just a, it's just a reminder that, uh, that life is a lot more important than any of this stuff. And the people that, you know, get up and, you know, put on a police officer's uniform or a firefighter's uniform or a nurse's or doctor's uniform or, and, or, or go to school and go to be a teacher or, you know, do any of another million jobs that are a lot more important. Um, you know, it, it's just a, it's just a reminder that, that this stuff is, is just not very consequential in the grand scheme. And I think, I think sometimes it would be better if we all kept that in mind when, um, when we get all worked up about, you know, whether some guy should or shouldn't get suspended or whether, you know, something should or shouldn't have happened or some call should or shouldn't have been made. You know, I remember, you know, a couple of weeks ago I was in Sacramento and, uh, served as a pool reporter at a game and, um, you know, there was, you know, people, the entire country of Canada, I think, thought that the NBA was was out to, to deprive the Raptors of a victory in Sacramento. And, you know, the, the league hates us. And uh, we, you know, there's just, it's nonsense that, uh, that, that, that this would happen. And how, how dare they, they take this game away from us. And you know what, it's probably better to, to think that, to, to take a deep breath and, and remember that at the end of the day, you know, we, as much as we all love the game of basketball, you know, those of us who are within the sport and care about it, enjoy watching it every night and seeing incredible performances like, you know, the one Clay Thompson had tonight, which was, you know, just truly a sight to see. Um, it's, it's also just not really that consequential and that important um, in the grand scheme of things. And stuff like, you know, whether, whether you predict somebody is going to win 50 games and they might lose 60 games, you know, like the, my, Timberwolves prediction that has been thrown back at me many times, which I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that, uh, it's, it's not cool to make fun of me. I'm perfectly fine being made fun of. I clearly made a mistake there and that's fine. Um, you know, it's whatever. I think it's, I think the whole thing's kind of funny anyway, frankly, but, um, it's, if you're wrong about something like that, you know what? It's, it's okay. It's not really that big a deal. You can always make another prediction. Um, there's 36 people so far and there might be, 
you know, another, who knows how many more are left. Um, there's a whole lot of people who are going to wake up or are never going to wake up again. And there's a whole lot of people who are going to wake up every day and remember somebody or somebody's that they lost that day. Um, and, you know, it's just a really, just a really terrible thing. And, you know, it's been a really rough couple days going out there and, um, and being part of that. And I'm, I'm really proud that I was able to, um, to, to do so. And I'm proud of the work that the Washington Post has done covering the story. And, um, uh, I'm proud of the fact that, that I, you know, I got a chance to make some connections with people that I never would have met and never would have known and never would have thought about. Um, that's been, that's been a really rewarding thing. And it's, uh, it's part of the reason why I'm so proud to work for this newspaper, why I think it is the world's greatest newspaper. It's a paper that cares about people and cares about stories and wants to tell them the right way. And I think that's really important. Um, and it's been gratifying to see people reach out to me through email and, and want to have their stories told in our newspaper because of the way we've covered it, which I, I think is gratifying. But at the same time, talking to people on the phone who have lost loved ones or seeing them in person or having people reach out to me to, to want to tell their stories. It's, uh, it's just heartbreaking. It's a really tragic and heartbreaking story. And, you know, my hope is that some good comes of it in the future, but, um, it's hard to think of, of any good that's going to come from something like this because it's just such a unbelievably tragic loss of life. Um, and, and so devastating to so many people. Um, I, I realize that this has been a lot of rambling and it's been uh, probably pretty depressing to listen to. Um, and I apologize for that. But, you know, I, I saw, you know, a, a decent number of people had said over the weekend, you know, they were glad to see that I was taking a break from basketball to report on this story. And, you know, they were glad to see that, that I was doing that. And I, I just, I don't know. I just thought maybe people would want to know what it was like kind of being in the middle of that and, and what I was going through and thinking about. Um, cause it's just been, you know, it's, it's just been a very difficult, very difficult couple days from that standpoint. Um, you know, it's part of the job and, you know, it's fortunately a part of the job that I don't have to do very often. A lot of my colleagues, the Washington post are dealing with, you know, really important, you know, stories like this, you know, the Metro desk at any, you know, the Metro desk at any major newspaper in the country, whether it's the San Francisco Chronicle or, um, the Washington post, the New York times, or the Chicago Tribune or the Miami Herald. I mean, any, any Metro desk, which is the city desk in any major city is going to deal with murders and, you know, and fires and, and just terrible stories just day after day. And there's reporters who, you know, their job is to, to call every day to people who are in the situations like the people I have been the last couple of days and, and get their stories. And, um, you know, it's, it's not always the easiest job, but it's, it's a job that needs to be done. And, um, I'm really proud that I got to, to, to be part of that for a couple of days. Um, you know, and, and I, like I said earlier, I, I just think it's an important reminder, at least for me. And I, and I hope in saying this, it is for some other people that, you know, the next time you really want to go crazy about some call or some trade or, um, some decision in a game that somebody made or some coach made or didn't make, um, if you just take a second and think and go, you know what, this maybe just isn't that important. Um, and it's not worth that level of anger and frustration. And uh, maybe I won't lash out at somebody on social media or I won't, you know, criticize, you know, say some terrible thing to some player or some coach or some writer um, about or some other fan um, about a game, you know, that maybe that'll help. So I apologize for the long ramble here. Um, but I, like I said, I wanted to kind of get my thoughts out about this and, 
you know, kind of try to process it myself because I haven't really taken the time to really sit and think about it very much. So um, hopefully somebody finds this interesting. Hopefully not everybody turns it off uh, before they get to the question and answer part. But um, you know, with that, let's try to let's try to run through some questions and and move on to some some positive, more positive thoughts about you know the NBA and and what really was a unbelievable night. And we'll start with a question from. Uh, from Sean Williams on Twitter, which was, can you address when Clay said he is not sacrificing? He meant that when you win a championship, nothing is a sacrifice. Um, it's not really what he meant. What Clay meant was he didn't have to sacrifice his game because that isn't why Kevin Durant came to the Warriors. Um, and Clay re, you know, reinforced that point tonight. When the Warriors went out to the Hamptons and you know met with Kevin, you know, when Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Andre Guadalla and Draymond Green and Steve Kerr and Bob Myers, everybody went there. What the Warriors sold him was, we're going to be the same team just with you on it. And, you know, if you look at the way they're playing, they're playing like the same team. Um, you know, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant are shooting a couple less times a game than they did last year. Uh, Clay Thompson is shooting about exactly the same number of shots he did last year. Um, they're, they're all getting their shots. They're all getting their opportunities to get into the offense and, and make plays. And, and it, it, you know, they're just making it work by giving those guys the ball as much as they can and letting them go to work, uh, which is frankly a pretty great strategy when you have three of the, you know, the best scorers in the entire league and arguably the three best shooters in the entire league in, in Steph, Clay, and, and Kevin. So, um, you know, I, I always thought that Clay Thompson was never going to have much of a trouble, um, Never going to have much trouble in terms of, of getting his touches and his opportunities. Uh, the thing that people, I think, perennially underestimate about Clay is his ability to come off of screens and catch the ball on the move and shoot. Um, in other words, you know, Steph and, and KD have the ball in their hands all the time, and they're creating plays, and they're, they're dribbling the ball up, and they're doing stuff. Clay, when he catches the ball, his first thought is to shoot the ball. And his second thought is to shoot the ball. And his third shot thought is to shoot the ball. And if he gets through the first, second, and third thoughts, and he hasn't shot the ball yet, then he'll pass it. But Clay Thompson is a dead-eye shooter, and a, just a, that's what he is. He's not, he's an excellent defender, but he's not, he can, he's gotten better creating off the dribble. He's not great at it, but he's better at it. He can do it now when he couldn't early in his career. But that's not what he is. He's a guy who catches the ball and he shoots it. And that's, to me, the most remarkable thing about the way he played tonight is that he scored 60 points and as Kevin Durant said after the game, might have had the ball for two minutes. I mean, because he catches the ball and it's up. And, you know, on this team, where they, if you're out there with Steph Curry and, and Kevin Durant and you're Clay Thompson running off screens and cutting open spots, I mean, you're going to get a lot of open looks. And that's why early in the season when he was struggling, I kept saying that he was going to be just fine because you, you, if you just looked at the shots he was getting, Clay was getting wide open look after wide open look, and he just couldn't get any of them to fall. And so I think, you know, I always thought that that was going to turn around, and obviously it has, and now he's gone in this unbelievable run where now, you know, if you, if you go back to where he was at the beginning of the season, you know, if you look at his stats now, you know, Clay's averaging 22.5 points a game, shooting 48% from the field, that's a career high, and he's at 39% from the, from the three-point line, when he started out, I think at like 11% through five or six games, maybe even more than that. Um, so he, you know, he's been over 40% every single year of his career. I'm sure he's going to be back up over 40%, you know, by the end of this season. Um, you know, and he, he's still getting to the foul line. His numbers are basically the same across the board. And, 
you know, he, he remains one of the best players in the league and one of the best shooting guards in the league. And, you know, it was just a devastating force. And, and tonight, tonight's performance really, you know, really was just an unbelievable thing to watch. And, you know, maybe the, the most fun thing was to see how excited his teammates were, you know, the Warriors, uh, the Warriors never mind celebrating when they get up They're They're probably the best, you know, you can, I think you can make a good argument. They're the best front running team in NBA history, where if they, they get a lead and they start going, you know, they, there's really no stopping them. And, you know, you saw that tonight, you know, Clay got going, everybody got into it. Steph Curry's running all the way to mid court and he's running all the way up the tunnel and the players are jumping out on the court. Um, you know, they have fun winning, you know, and they enjoy winning. You know, they're a lot like, uh, the Showtime Lakers, you know, who would win and wouldn't mind telling you how much fun they were having when they win. And that's part of the reason I think why so people, so many people were so happy when they lost last year, um, because it's that has engendered them a lot of enemies, I think. But there's little doubt that they're a that they're a very fun team, and uh, and, and it's you know, and he Clay is uh, is is always a fun guy to uh, to watch. So um, let's let's move on from here to some other stuff. Uh, friend of the show, Danny Larue on my Reddit. Uh, question page, which he helped me set up because I was such a novice about Reddit. I didn't know how to do it. So thank you, Danny. Uh, has living in the Northern California area turned you soft yet? Uh, no, I'm still an East Coaster. I'm still a New Yorker. So maybe maybe someday, but not yet. And thoughts on the Moda Yunus offer sheet? Um, Danny and Nate on the and Nate Duncan on the Dunked On Pod spent way more time than I, I could ever breaking down the, the Moda Yunus offer sheet in detail and why it made sense or why it didn't on the, the pod they did Sunday. You should go check that out. Um, but, you know, my thought was a little different than theirs. I always was convinced Darren Moore was going to match uh, the offer that the Nets gave him, uh, gave Donatus Modiunis. Uh, he did on Monday. Um, my reasoning always was, if you look at this trade from the Rockets' perspective, it, whenever you're talking about Darren Moore, here's the question. Can I trade this contract? If I could trade it, if Daryl could trade a, a contract, he's going to match it. And if you look at... Um, if you look at this contract, if Mati Yunus has a back injury or his back acts up over the next couple months or he just isn't effective, the, the Rockets can cut him before March 1st and they eat the salary this year, which hurts, but they're not in the luxury tax. So it's only a, it's only the, the money on the contract itself. And then they don't have him on the books next year. And if he seems okay, then you have a, not a guy on the books for $9 million um, this summer that if you want to try to flip somewhere else, uh, to create some extra cap room, I don't think you're going to have much trouble with that. So um, I, I thought that made a lot of sense. I thought it was a smart gamble for the Nets to make because he would have been their third or fourth best player. Um, but now that uh, you know, now that the Rockets have kept him, I think he's a perfect fit, Moda Yunus, for the way Mike D'Antoni wants to play. Rockets had another nice win tonight, beating the Celtics. I think the Rockets are the fourth best team in the West this year, um, behind the the Spurs, Clippers, and, and Warriors, and whatever order you have them in. And um, I would love to see a Rockets Warriors second round series. That would be so much fun. Um, and I wrote a column, uh, clickety clack. I wrote a, I wrote a column uh, for Monday's Washington Post um, about Mike D'Antoni and the work he has done um, in Phoenix or in in Phoenix. What a that was a Freudian slip. Uh, in Houston this year, recreating what he did in Phoenix, really for the first time since he was there. Hopefully, you can go check that out. But um, but I, I I just really like the way this Rockets team is playing. James Harden's been incredible, and you know it's really they're really a fun team to watch. Um, from uh, from Kevin Pelton, another friend of the show. What's your favorite Ethan Strauss uh, ten dollar word? Uh, my brain is too fried to think of all of the words that that Ethan likes to use. All the ten dollar words. Um, my my favorite way my favorite thing about Ethan is 
will be in the press room. Ethan sits next to me in the Warriors press room, and he will just come up with ways to um, to use big words uh, for no reason, um, and uh, and just just to just to throw them out there. He'll he'll just be talking, and he'll you know he'll he'll uh, he'll use some some big word and and just try to act like it's a normal thing that somebody would say in normal conversation when in reality it is an insane thing for anyone to do uh, other than when they're trying to show off that they went to Cal and Ethan loves to show off that he went to Cal uh, quite often even if he won't admit it so there's my uh, there's my daily uh, dig on my on my guy Ethan who even though I do give him a hard time he is a, a very good friend um, but it is a uh, it is easy to make fun of Ethan, and, and as you will notice, if you go back and if you read uh, if you read the Ringer piece about the Warriors media, you will see how how Ethan thinks when he talks about uh, having. Actually, you know what? I got I got my word. Uh, uh, KP, uh, when Ethan in the in the ring in the interview he gave to Brian Curtis in the Ringer story, when he said he had to modulate his conversations in the locker room, I thought that uh, that kind of perfectly summed up Ethan. That instead of just saying he couldn't even talk about not using ten dollar words without. Uh, turning it into using a $10 word. Um, so that, that was, that was pretty fantastic. Uh, from Bismack by Biombo. I like that name on Reddit. Um, how annoying is it to have the clickety clacks on whenever you try to make a point on the true pod? Uh, someone said later, it gets added in later, but I, there is nothing, uh, there's nothing annoying about being on the true pod. Uh, even though I'm, I'm on my own pod saying that I love hanging out with those guys. I'm actually doing the pod tomorrow. I believe by the time this is up, uh, I'll, I'll probably either about to record it or done it. Um, those guys are great. It's always a lot of fun. And, uh, the evil producer, uh, happy to have given him that nickname, Jade Hoy. Um, it, uh, you know, he, uh, he does an amazing job adding that stuff in later and it's a lot of fun. Um, from school bus Q, what happened to the Hawks? I have no idea what happened to the Hawks. This is the most confusing thing that I've, I've seen in a while in the NBA. The Hawks a month ago, go to Cleveland Pound the, pound the Cavs in Cleveland, a team they got swept by in the playoffs each of the last two years. Dwight Howard destroys Tristan Thompson, who had destroyed the, uh, the Cavaliers in the playoffs, or destroyed the Hawks in the playoffs the last two years. Looks like things are great. The Hawks get to 9-2, and two, and then the Hawks completely go off a cliff. They don't really have any injuries. Um, you know, Paul Millsass missed a couple games now, but um, they've now lost 10 of their last 11 games. They've lost seven games in a row. They got blown out twice over the weekend. I, I have no idea what's going on with the Hawks. I really like this team. I, I think they should be the same team they were last year. Um, I thought Dwight Howard for Al Horford was basically the same player, who uh, basically trading out one player at the same level for another. Um, Dwight is obviously uh, taking some hits personality-wise over the last few years for some of the ways he's handled some things, but um, he's still a heck of a player, and he... He shores up two significant weaknesses for this Atlanta team, you know, defensive rebounding and, and rim protection that Al wasn't great at providing. And I, I just really liked the fit. I thought they were going to be good, and it looked like they were going to be good for uh, a few weeks, and then the wheels have just completely fallen off. Now, the other way to look at this is that the Hawks have lost 10 out of 11, um, and they are four and a half games behind the Raptors, and they're two and a half games behind the Celtics and, and uh, Hornets uh, for third and fourth in, or for a tie for third in the Eastern Conference. So, you know, two and a half games separating, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams is, you know, it's a lot of teams to jump, but it's also not a big gap to, to have to clear. So, you know, and the other thing I will say is the Hawks are eight and five in conference and two and seven against the West. So they are, 
they are getting a lot of these Western Conference games out of the way, which maybe will help them later. But um, yeah, it's just you know it's just been a very strange few weeks for the Hawks. I, I wish I had a I wish I had a more direct answer because I, I really can't figure it out. Um, from from John Car Cargyle on Twitter, uh, are operatives of Nike behind some of the Curry slash Warriors bashing in hopes of pushing down Under Armour? Um, no, I don't think so. That that's uh, that's taking a theory a little too far. That that's like when my man Strauss, to bring him up again, was claiming that his uh, his very excellent uh, Steph Curry Under Armour story of how he got to Under Armour in the first place. Um, Led to uh, led to Nike's stock going down, which was one of the funniest uh, True Who Pod moments. Speaking of the True Who Pod of all time, but uh, but no, so I I would say that uh, I would say that's not true. Um, Nike it wants Kevin Durant to be good. They want Draymond Green to be good. Uh, you know, I, I think the fact that Kevin Durant is on the Warriors. You know, if you want to make that argument that the, the Nike helped push Kevin Durant to the Warriors because they um, they wanted to keep down Under Armour that way. I know that's something that Ethan and others have pushed, and that I think is a much more realistic argument than than them like secretly taking shots at at Curry and the Warriors. I, I don't I don't really think that that's true. Um, from from Tom on Twitter, uh, what are the chances the Wolves turn their season around after the OT win? Do they want to, or is quote tanking better for the future? Um, would it be better long term for the Wolves if they got another high pick? Probably. Uh, are they trying to tank this year? Absolutely not. Um, Tom Thibodeau is the last coach that ever is going to want to do that. That's why you've seen uh, Carl Towns and, and Zach Levine and Andrew Wiggins all play um, huge minutes over the last few weeks uh, in games as they try to you know write their season and get things back on track. So um, I, I could see that the Wolves going off a cliff. Um, they have a brutal schedule coming up. They play Golden State. They play Chicago. I don't remember exactly who's on the list. They play San Antonio. They've got a real. I think San Antonio will start tomorrow. Um, they've got a really, really, really tough schedule, and they could they could lose most of the games and just go right off a cliff, and that could be their season. Um, then maybe they try to trade Ricky Rubio and and Bill and just try to you know give these guys another year of experience. But but Tom Thibodeau is not a coach that's going to be happy, and especially as the coach and GM, he is not going to be satisfied with winning 25 games and and just like stinking up the joint for another pick. Um, that's not that's not how he operates, and that they're they're not going to lose on purpose just to try to uh, just to try to get better. Oh, with the draft pick, I mean. Uh, from Hutch and Go on Twitter. Are there any feasible upgrades for the Raptors at the four? Um, see, th the trouble with a, with a situation like Toronto's is that if you're going to make a trade to make an upgrade, you have to have two things. You have to have the assets to go get somebody in a trade, and you have to have the contracts that allow you to make that upgrade on the roster. And I don't know if... I don't know if the Raptors really have either of them. Um, Toronto, if you look at Toronto's team, um, the, you know the Raptors. The Raptors have their their big contracts at the top. Um, you know they've got Demar Derozan, who they're not trading. They've got uh, Jonas Valanciunas, who they're they could trade. We'll get to that in a minute, but I don't think they will. Um, they've got Demar Carroll, who they probably can't trade even if they wanted to. Um, they've got Kyle Lowry, who they're not trading. And then they've got Terrence Ross who, again, they could trade, but the, here's where it comes in. You're not trading Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. You're probably not trading Jonas Valanciunas, although you could. So that leaves you with, are you trying to turn Terrence Ross and a pick into a better power forward? I mean, you can, you can do something like that, maybe, um, but I just don't know what you're really getting. Um, the Raptors were interested in going after Paul Millsap when it seemed like he might be on the block in the summer. Uh, 
The Raptors were definitely interested in Serge Ibaka and made a play for him when he went to the the uh, Magic um, on draft night back in June. Um, so they they knew they wanted to try to get a better four. Um, could somebody like Serge Ibaka maybe come back into play if uh, Toronto continues or, or if Orlando struggles and you know Serge says to them, "I'm not coming back here as a free agent. I'd want to get out of here." Um, could you maybe turn Terrence Ross and a, and a first into Serge um, and, and get Serge to play on that team in Toronto? I, I think that's possible. Like, I, I wouldn't think it's likely given how much the Magic gave up to get Serge. I don't think they turn around and trade him. And they, they've also won some games recently, which I, you know, is going to you know, probably keep them from getting into full sale mode anytime soon. But um, I mean, maybe, I mean, Serge Ibaka is probably like the best bet is like that level of a player. And at the same time, I don't really think that Serge Ibaka on that team, even though he'd be better than Patrick Patterson overall, I don't know if if that is a good enough upgrade to make this Toronto team a real contender to um, to do anything dangerous once the uh, once the playoffs start. They may be able to you know claw their way back into the uh, into the Western Conference or Eastern Conference Finals because there isn't much competition there. But I, I think that's about the extent of what they can do. Um, from Jeff, from uh, Jeff Cheel on Twitter, uh, using the old old school Golden State Warriors logo, which I'm a big fan of. Um, so he asked kind of two questions: Who's the first guy to get traded this season? And then more directly, which team goes for the rebuild first? This is a really interesting question. Um, the weird thing about this year so far is that most of these teams are kind of grouped together. So there isn't anybody that's really off a cliff that you'd be surprised about that, that would really start heading in a rebuild direction. I mean, kind of the, the obvious team here that you could look at is say, if Sacramento decided to trade Boogie Cousins, um, they would be terrible. And that would be a chance for them to, to really bottom out and rebuild. Um, at the same time, you know, they're only, you know, right now they're only a couple games out of a playoff spot. You know, they're four out, which is, which is a lot, but three out in a loss. Um, but they're, I think they're as long as they keep distance with that eight seed, I don't think you're going to see Boogie go anywhere, even though I think he should be traded by this year's trade deadline. I think they need to move on from him. Um, but other than that, I, it's kind of hard to find a guy that really makes sense. I mean, you know, the interesting thing about this year's trade market is a, a lot of the guys who are, um, who are on the market that people know about, um, there's not a great fit for them anywhere. Let me give you a good example. Uh, Rudy Gay is openly available. Um, you know, the, the Kings would, he wants desperately to be traded. I think the Kings would like to trade him in the right deal. But where, what is the Rudy Gay trade that makes sense? You know, that, this is what I always tell people when they ask me about guys, if they're going to get traded is go around a league and find a place where he makes sense to fit. Now, the one place that's been mentioned a lot and which is true is that, you know, Oklahoma city has been interested in him and that, you know, that is, that is true that Oklahoma city would like him. And that's a place where he would fit because they need another scorer because Russell Westbrook is a cyborg, but maybe he might not be able to do, you know, a 40% usage rate for the entire season to play at this level and drag the Thunder into the playoffs. And so they would like another scorer. But um, at the same time, what are the Thunder sending back uh, to, um, what are the Thunder sending back to Sacramento in order to get a trade done? I mean, yes, they could, they could turn around and they could trade, uh, you know, they could trade, um, you know, Cameron Payne and give, you know, a point guard to, uh, they could give a point guard to, um, to the, to the Kings, but they can't, they can't turn around and, uh, 
they, you know, they, they, they also then have to try to aggregate some other salary together. I mean, then you add in like Anthony Morrow and somebody else. And, you know, then you got to make the money work. Um, you know, it, it's just, it, it becomes a, a tricky proposition to try to figure out what they do. And, and that's if, you know, do the Kings really like Cameron Payne? Um, you know, that's the other part of that. So you have to go around and, and, and find homes for these guys. So whether it's Rudy Gay, whether it's Greg Monroe, whether it's Brandon Knight, um, even a guy like Brooke Lopez, you know, when, when Modi Yunus uh, signed this offer sheet with the Nets, I had all these fans for some reason come out of the woodwork to say, oh, the, the Nets are clearly going to trade Brooke, Brooke Lopez. Uh, you know, Modi Yunus could be their center. Um, first of all, I have no indication that that's what the Nets want to do from any, anybody I talked to. And on top of that, again, look around the league and tell me where Brooke Lopez fits on a good team that they're going to give up assets to get him. Um, you know, I just don't, I haven't been able to find a team that makes sense for him that would give up assets for him. It just, it's just a, just doesn't make sense. So, you know, guys like, guys like Greg Monroe, guys like Brooke, guys like DeMarcus Cousins, guys like uh, Brandon Knight and Rudy Gay. Um, I, I don't know, I don't know where these guys necessarily fit because they're all, they're all not, they're all, none of them are bad players. Some of them are, they range from decent to very good. You know, I think Brooke's probably the best of those guys, unless it's Cousins and he's the best. Um, but I, uh, I just don't know who – it's going to be interesting to see what happens because with all the move, movement that happened this summer and all the money that was spent, when we get to December 15th, you know, either between there and the trade deadline, we're either going to see a ton of trades or we're going to see very few. And I, I can't really get a handle on which way it's going to go yet. Some of that might come down to the new CBA um, and, and some of the new rules. We find out about that over the next few weeks. Um, maybe if we find out a better idea what the cap is going to look like, that kind of stuff could impact things. But it's, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how all this shakes out. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I guess if I had to, to make a prediction on one guy, I would say Brandon Knight, um, if a first guy is going to get traded, just because I, that situation seems like it has to change. But again, I don't know where he goes. So, um, I, it will be very fascinating to see. Uh, over time, how all that stuff, uh, how all that stuff plays out. Um, hey Tim, this is going to be a homer question, but can we get some outlook on the Lakers? Uh, well, the whole point of a mailbag is to ask a homer question, I think. So, uh, so I, I don't know how to how I feel about the Lakers right now. I mean, they're they're now ten and thirteen. Um, you know, they 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 got off to the really nice start. It looked like they might be able to do some things this year, and then uh, you know things have kind of predictably started to go sideways. They have a very young team. Um, they still have to, you know, kind of get their bearings. Um, you know, they've had some injuries. They had, I think, five guys out tonight by the end of the game. You know, lost a tough game at home to uh, to the Jazz. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't really know what the, uh, I don't really know what's in store for the Lakers. Um, I think that, I think that they're going to be okay. Luke Walton has done an incredible job. Um, their bench has been really good. He's done a nice job, I think, having, you know, playing a lot of guys and having that second unit, um, you know, kind of stick together and uh, have that second unit kind of stick together and, and playing Lou Williams and Jordan Clarkson together and, you know, really, really tearing teams up with that second group. You know, but Brandon Ingram is still very young, very raw. Uh, D'Angelo Russell has been banged up. Uh, they've had other guys out. Um, you know, I, I, I still think they're probably going to end up with somewhere between say 23 and 30 wins, which is more than I thought they were going to initially, which they've gotten off to a nice start, but they have a young team. They have, they have some injuries. And I, I think as the year goes on and, and people start to figure out, um, 
start to figure out what they're going to do, um, you know, or figure out how they're playing, I should say. You know, I think the Lakers will struggle more. But, but look, this is like last year when I said that it was a win for the Knicks from day one because Chris S. Porzingis looked like the star. The Lakers, this season is already a win for the Lakers because the Lakers look like a team that is nothing like the team they were before the last couple of years with Byron Scott and Kobe Bryant. And they also look like a team that, uh, that is happy to play together and has a, a coach they believe in. And I think Luke Walton's a keeper. And I think if you have Luke Walton and you've got you know, a group you can believe in moving forward, um, that, that's, that's, a, that's more than enough of a win you know, for, a, for a Laker team that really needed to have a win in that kind of a spot. And uh, it's, you know, it's been fun to watch them, and it, it's fun to see the Lakers be, be relevant again. Because the last couple of years, for as much as people want to claim that they were relevant with Kobe Bryant, they were not. They were not a relevant team in any way, shape, or form, uh, other than when Kobe was either getting hurt or, or doing something noteworthy, like going to Philly for his last time or you know, going different places for the last time, having a different game, a decent game here and there. And you obviously had the 60-point game in the last one. But this is a, this is a long-term relevance that, that wasn't there before, and, and it's, it's really nice to see this team uh, playing this way. Okay, from, uh, from test fixation, I'll leave out some of the language, but are the Clippers contenders or not? Well, the Clippers are contenders. I don't know really what to make of them. This last week was incredibly odd. Uh, they, they beat the Cavs, which is great, in Cleveland by 20. And then they get blown out by the Pistons. They get blown out by the Pacers. They lose to the Nets. They lose to the Pacers again. Um, very strange week. Uh, the Clippers have played a lot of games. Um, but that also, you know, I also don't think they've played that many more games than anybody else. Um, I mean, I guess they played one more game than the, the Warriors are 16-6. and six. Um, Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I do think they are contenders. I do think there's something different about them this year. I think they just had a bad week. Um, I am genuinely fascinated about this game on uh, Wednesday between the, the Clippers and, and Warriors in LA. Um, you know, the Clippers, uh, need, I think, need to win that game. I think they need to send a message like they did in Cleveland that they're, they're a, a legitimate team this year. Uh, remember, the Warriors played them in the preseason. It was a preseason game, but the Warriors had 90 points, I think, two minutes into the third quarter and were, were up by 50 at that point, at one point in that game. Um, I, I am... Uh, I thought it was, you know, I thought the Warriors that night were sending a message to the Clippers and the Clippers, you know, Doc Rivers pretty much flat out said his team didn't respond. And um, I'm, I'm fascinated to see if they respond in this game. I, I, I expect it to be a great game. I really want to see them play. I still think the Clippers are making the Western Conference Finals. I think they're the second best team in the West uh, once they get to the playoffs. But it's going to be fascinating to see um, how this plays out and how they look. And, and I think I think this game on Wednesday is a really big test for them. They have two days off. They had Monday and Tuesday off before for this game Wednesday. They have a chance to rest up. Uh, they're going to be at home. Uh, it, this is this is a big game, and let's see how this how this team responds, and let's see um, let's see if they can rise to the occasion like they did against the Cavs and really punch this Warriors team in the mouth. It, it should be a lot of fun, and I'm uh, I'm very excited to see to see how this plays out. But yes, I do think they are contenders, and I think they. They, they may not be quite as good as they were at the start of the season, but I definitely do think they can be a team that can, that can give the Warriors some trouble if they, if they do wind up meeting in the playoffs. Uh, do you think that Isaiah Thomas will be an all-star this season? Uh, not surprisingly, this is from a Celtics fan. Uh, I don't know if Isaiah Thomas will be a all-star this season. I have to try to take a look here at the um, NBA stat leaders because I haven't had a chance to do that. 
Um, you know, let's see here. Where does Isaiah Thomas rank? Let's see if this is going to work. Probably won't now. Um, while that is loading, I'm going to come back to that question. Um, who has been the most disappointing team slash player not named the Wolves? That is a good question. Who has been the most disappointing team? Um, I'm struggling to answer these questions quickly, which is probably bad. Um, well... You know who's been bad? Uh, oh, the Wizards. That's it. I, I, my brain is blanking. The Washington Wizards have been the most, most disappointing team. They did manage to win uh, Monday night against the, against the Nets uh, in a game that looked like they were in trouble in. But the Wizards are only 7-12. and 12. It's not like they're out of the picture. They're only a couple games out of a playoff spot right now. Um, I still think they can get in and be fine. But um, they have not played anywhere near the way I thought they were going to this season. Um, I really, I really thought they were going to be, you know, a really good team. I thought they went in deep in their bench. They then subsequently have played terribly, uh, basically, uh, all season, you know, it hasn't, hasn't been very impressive. Um, you know, so we'll see, we'll see how things shake out over time. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I have been very disappointed with the wizards and just expected more from them this year. So, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So, all right, back to Isaiah Thomas. Will Isaiah Thomas make the all-star team? Uh, well, given the fact that Isaiah Thomas is currently 10th, 9th in the league in scoring as, as a recording at 26 points per game, um, I would expect that Isaiah Thomas in that scenario would make the all-star game. Um, you know, some of this might come down to, to who makes the team where. I mean, uh, you, there's a lot of really good guards in the East. Um, you know, if I, if I'm going to try to write this down, let's try to, let's try to mock this out right now. Uh, you know, it's, it's a little different before we know exactly what the vote situation is like, but you know, let's just go through, let's just go through Eastern conference. Uh, let's just go through Eastern conference, uh, you know, guards, you know, you've got, you've got Kyrie Irving, you've got Jimmy Butler, um, you've got Paul George, you've got LeBron James. I'm just going to go players, not guards. You got LeBron James. Uh, you've got DeMar DeRozan. Uh, I think DeMar is, is pretty clearly going to make the All-Star game this year. Um, you've got Isaiah Thomas, who we're obviously talking about. You've got Kemba Walker. Um, you've got Giannis Antetokounmpo, who has been incredible and I think is definitely going to make the All-Star team. Um, you've got John Wall, who has been, you know, I, I don't know, is John still averaging, is John still averaging double-digit assists a game? Uh, I mean, he's averaging 22 points and 9.9 uh, assists per game. Uh you know, it's, it's, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty good, you know? Um, so, you know, he, he's going to be in the mix. Um, you've got Carmelo Anthony who, you know, could easily get voted into the All-Star game. You got Dwayne Wade, um, who's been in the All-Star game a million times and I could see him getting in. You've got Kyle Lowry, um, you know, another guy has been outstanding. Um, you've got Kevin Love who has been absolutely tremendous for the Cavs and you would think, uh, the way he's playing right now, I think he probably, um, if he doesn't make the all-star team, I think is going to have, uh, you know, a, a really good chance of, uh, you know, I, I think he's got a really good chance of making the all-star team. So we're already right there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. That doesn't include Kristaps Porzingis, who I think has a great chance of making the all-star game this year. Um, I have Kemba Walker in there. Um, this is probably some great listening for people who are at home and just like following along with me. They're probably sort of screaming at me about somebody I'm missing. Uh, Andre Drummond could wind up in the picture here. Um, you know, he, he's a, uh, you know, he's the best player on, on one of the better teams. Dwight Howard, 
has been, you know, he, he, I, I think he's been very good this year, but uh, obviously the, um, you know, the bottom has fallen out on that, that Hawks team, but it is early. They could, they could turn things around. Um, you know, so, so right there you're at, you know, somewhere around 15, 16 guys on just one quick pass through of the league. Um, you know, and if you, if you start to break that down, I mean, who are the locks? Kyrie Irving, for sure. I think LeBron obviously is making it. Um, Kevin Love, I think is going to make it. I think all three of those guys are going to make it from the Cavs, especially as well as, uh, especially as well as, uh, as Love has been playing. Um, I think Jimmy Butler is a lock to make the team. I think DeMar DeRozan is a lock to make the team. It's already up to five. I think Giannis is a lock to make the team. He's been so good. Um, I think people are drawn to young, exciting guys like that. I think he's definitely going to make it. Uh, I think Kyle Lowry is going to also wind up making it. Um, you know, so now you're up to, to seven guys already that are locks. Um, I think Paul George is going to make it because he's Paul George. Um, so now you're at eight. So now, so basically, for guys like Isaiah Thomas, here's the crew you're talking about. It's Isaiah Thomas, uh, Isaiah Thomas, Kemba, John Wall, Carmelo, Dwayne Wade, Porzingis, and then Drummond and Howard. And that's just on a quick, a quick run through the conference, just thinking about who's available. So, you know, does, does, Isaiah, does Isaiah make the team out of that group? Um, I mean, probably. You know, if he if the if the Wizards are not good and uh, if the Wizards are not good and the um, you know and the, the Celtics are, you know, he probably gets he might get in voted in over by the coaches over a guy like like John Wall. Um, him and Kemba are similar players. You know, if the if it winds up coming down to the two of them, it might come down to who has the better which team has a better record. Um, you know, some of this could be a factor if if say Porzingis gets voted in the All Star game. I mean, if if Carmelo and Porzingis, say the three forwards in the East are LeBron, Carmelo, and Porzingis, um, which I think is possible. You know, if that happens, then all of a sudden, if Kevin Love's a, an automatic pick as a reserve big, you know, then you're, then you're looking at, you know, maybe you've only got two spots for, you know, to choose between a bunch of guys, um, you know, and then maybe Isaiah doesn't make it. So, I, this is a very long-winded answer because I hadn't really thought about this at all because I, I don't think about all-star teams that much, especially this early in the year. Uh, so do I think Isaiah will make the team? My guess is he probably will, um, but I do not think it is nearly as a lot, much of a lock as somebody might automatically think uh, given that his team, uh, or given that he's averaging 26 points a game. Um, that's not a knock on Isaiah at all. I just think that people forget how many good players there are in the East even even if they're not maybe quite as many as the West. And I think that, you know, Isaiah's going to be down the, the line a little bit, especially if the Celtics continue to kind of be a middling up and down, uh, up and down team so far. Uh, who is in your, from 99 King, who is in your all-rookie first team? Now, this is a great question because this year's rookie class has been atrocious so far. And something that people need to remember is that um, rookies stink. Rookies are not good. And I think last year, the success of last year's rookie class, I think is going to cloud that for people. People need to realize that last year's rookie class is one of the greatest rookie classes of all time. It might not wind up being one of the greatest draft classes of all time, but in terms of guys walking onto the court and immediately being really good, that never happens. And not that the guys last year were great, but guys like Carl Towns and Chris Porzingis and Devin Booker and Miles Turner. I mean, these guys were good players and useful players right out of the gate. Right out of the gate, that just doesn't happen. So 
I think people need to remember that when they start to, to try to, you know, game out, um, you know, game out how teams are, how guy, how good um, these rookies are and are they, can they be better? Um, and, and, you know, who, who's doing well now and are they going to do well later? Um, so I think that's all needs to be remembered. That being said, uh, my all-rookie first team, I think is kind of straightforward at the moment. Um, Joel Embiid is obviously going to make the team. He's a runaway pick for rookie of the year, um, presuming he stays healthy. Uh, Jamal Murray from Denver is going to make the team. Uh, he's been very good. Uh, Dario Saric has been good. He's played a lot of minutes. He's not shooting well from the field. He's actually shooting pretty well from three, uh, believe it or not, um, which is a little bit of a surprise. But, but Saric is playing a lot of minutes. He's putting up some stats. I think he is going to be in the mix. Um, Brandon Ingram is playing a lot of minutes. He hasn't been great, but you know he's, he's playing some decent defense. He's doing some stuff for the Lakers. I think he'll probably be in the mix there too. Um, and actually, you know, right now, I think you'd probably say somebody like Demonis Sabonis is going to be the fifth guy because Sabonis is playing on a team that's, gonna make, that's probably going to make the playoffs in Oklahoma City. Um, but I, I do still think that Ben Simmons will make the team, uh, assuming he comes back relatively soon. There was another question from someone else, I apologize, on, uh, on Twitter, I believe, asking me, have I heard anything about Ben Simmons coming back? I have not. Um, I still think he's going to be back around the first of the year. Uh, that would give him, you know, three and a half months to play. I think he'll wind up being a first-team All-NBA player if he comes back then and plays three months and has the ball in his hands all the time. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting to hear was that Brett Brown recently, you know, I think last week, said that he wants Ben Simmons to be uh, his point guard, um, you know, have the ball in his hands, let him make plays like what the, the Bucks are doing with Giannis Antetokounmpo, which I think is really smart, something they, they need to do. Uh, it'll maximize you know, Ben's ability to handle the ball um, and, and will minimize his shot, his, his poor shooting. Um, so I think that makes sense. So, so I, I think that's probably my five right now. It's probably um, my five right now is Embiid, Murray, Saric, Ingram, and uh, and right now Sabonis. And I think over time my fifth rookie would wind up being. Um, I mean, probably what it would wind up being is under that scenario would be Embiid, Murray, Ingram, Sabonis, and and Simmons would be my guess because I, I have a feeling Saric's role will take a bit of a hit um, when Simmons comes back. But but that's just that's just my. Uh, that's just my take on it. And, and frankly, like I said, there haven't been a lot of rookies that have really impressed, so that could easily change if guys get better as the course of the year goes on. Um, all right. Well, I think let's see. Is there any, let's see if there's one more question that we can uh, let's see if there's one more question that we can get in here that will be that will be good. Um, here's a good one. Okay. Uh, will we ever see a big man lead an lead an offensive team? Or, oh, okay. Sorry, screwed this up. Will we ever see a big man led offensive team be successful under the current NBA rules? We don't expect guys like Russ Harden or Lillard to be great on defense because they're so busy carrying the offense, but you can't just give the same leniency to bigs, especially centers, because they're more integral to a good team defense. So would it just seem like the lack of successful big lead teams goes beyond the usual explanations like, quote, there's just a lack of talent right now, and, quote, guys can't post up as well because you can't soft because you can soft double. That's from Wow Good Stats. Really interesting question. Um, I would say that right now uh, the reason that uh, there aren't teams with uh, elite big guys that are good. It's just kind of the way um, the way the league is currently constituted. Um, you know, Demarcus Cousins on a team with basically nobody else. Demarcus Cousins on a team with, or Anthony Davis on a team with basically nobody else. Demarcus Cousins on a team with basically nobody else. Um, you know, Andre Drummond. Um, I don't know if he. I, I mean, I guess I don't know if he's the best 
if he's leading that team, and he's probably their, I mean, he's, he's I mean, is he maybe this is the leading scorer? I'm, I'm not even sure how many points a game Drummond averages. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think more what it comes down to is that, you know, it's less that it's, it's these guys can't be successful. It's that if you just have a guard, they just have the ball in their hands more. And I think if you look over the history of the league, pretty much all the great teams have two things. They have a really good big and they have a really good guard. And whether it's a shooting guard or a point guard, um, that's kind of the way most of the great teams of all time have been built. Um, you know, there have been exceptions. The current Warriors are kind of an exception, even though Kevin Durant is seven feet tall. Um, the Cavs have been kind of an exception, even though LeBron is six nine. Uh, the 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 Bull the Jordan Bulls were certainly an exception. Um, but no, I don't think that's true. I mean, I think that Carl Anthony Towns has a chance to be the best player in the NBA uh, over the next ten years at some point. Um, and and that would you know he'll be the you know the lead offensive guy on a team. Um, you know, I think if a guy's good enough and is surrounded by good enough players. I think that that they, you can still win with a big guy, um, but they just have to be a good enough player to carry that. And I think I just think the way the league is has distributed its talent right now, um, you know, there's just not that many bigs that are that good. And um, you know, it's it's also that the the ones that are really good, like Blake Griffin, is a fantastic off a big man scorer, right? Um, is is it? Do you say that he leads the Clippers or does? Chris Paul lead the Clippers. Um, Clippers. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge is on the Spurs. You know, he's still a terrific big. Are you saying he's leading the Spurs or Kawhi? Is? I think you'd say Kawhi is, but still, like, LaMarcus Aldridge is one of the two best players on a really good offense. Um, you know, Al Horford's been on a good offense with the Celtics, even though he's a little different player. Um, so, yeah, no, I think it is possible. I just think that, uh, you know, Kevin Love, some of those Kevin Love teams in Minnesota really got an offense. And he was the best player, even though they didn't win a ton of games. Um, so yeah, I think I, I do think it is going to be possible, but I also think that you know I think this I think this Thunder team has shown us that um, it's a lot easier to to manufacture stuff when your best player just has the ball in his hands the most. Um, so I think that's I think that's something uh, I think that's something, uh, I think that's something to, to to remember when you're trying to decide if anybody could play like this in the future. Um, all right, but been here for an hour. Um, I think I'm going to sign off here. Uh, as I said earlier, I hope the beginning wasn't too depressing um, for anybody listening. Uh, but I, I just, I just thought it was interesting to kind of share what I've been thinking and kind of just kind of process through some of what I've seen over the last few days. And um, I don't even know if I remember if I actually said this is beginning or not because so much I was talking about. But uh, I know personally, I'll just have the uh, victims of what happened across the bay in mind for a while. Um, something I'm going to really remember for a long time. Um, everything I've seen and, and what, what the last few days have been like. And um, so hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully everybody out there who has read about it will, will feel the same way. Um, but like I said, I just figured I'd give you guys an insight into what I've been thinking and, and what it's been like uh, kind of being part of that scene for, for the last 72 hours. But, um, but thank you for listening. On to, uh, on to basketball now. I'm very excited about this week. I'm going to, uh, going to Los Angeles uh, tomorrow uh, watch the uh, – Clippers Warriors game on Wednesday. Then I'm going to Salt Lake City to see uh, Jazz Warriors on Thursday. Get a get a chance to see my guy Zach Harper, which will be fun. Uh, maybe do a pod with him at some point. Um, uh, as for as for me, you can can follow me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. You can go to Facebook uh, at Tim Bontemps NBA. You can go to uh, go to the Washington Post. Find my articles there. Um, find them both in the newspaper and on the website. Um, you can find this podcast posting up. On iTunes, please give it a five-star rating and review on there. That would really help us out a lot. 
You can also find it on Stitcher if you want to download it there. You can also get it from uh, the Washington Post SoundCloud page. I believe it's soundcloud.com slash Washington Post. I want to thank Glenn Yoder in the Western States for the theme music for the podcast. Uh, Glenn is the digital editor, the sports digital editor of the Washington Post, good friend of mine. Um, you know, really, really is a great band. Check, uh, go, go search them out, the Western States, but Glenn Yoder in the Western States online. Do some really great work. Uh, I think you'll, um, think you'll like that if you go find it. I know a lot of people have liked the theme music, which I know Glenn and those guys really appreciate a lot. So, um, you know, thanks to them for, for providing it. Um, and, and thanks everybody for listening. Like I, again, I, I hope, I hope it wasn't too much of a downer at the beginning. I didn't ramble for too long, but, um, you know, I just kind of thought I'd, I'd get my thoughts out there and from now on, it'll be, it'll be pretty much all basketball on the podcast. So, uh, thanks everybody for sticking around for what's been a, a long podcast and, uh, hopefully we'll start getting back into the swing of doing this a couple times a week, every week and, and really, you know, getting into a rhythm again, but. Um, but thanks to everybody again for sticking around for all this time. And, uh, thanks for all the great questions on Reddit, Reddit MBA and, uh, on my Twitter page. Thank you for that. And, um, look forward to talking to y'all again soon.